It is check in with State Representative Tacky Chan time. We call it Tacky Talk here at QA TV. How are you, Tacky? Doing great on this uh, Thursday, October 13th, in a uh, somewhat cloudy cloudy morning. Actually, it's still at about 11 a.m. right now. Yes, we are expecting big rain, big winds. So hopefully, it'll help with the drought situation a little bit. I think it will. I mean, obviously, I think a snowpack, particularly out in um, the Western Mass section, Quabbin could use a brand new snowpack this winter. Uh, again, again, I'm not wishing poor weather to friends in Western Mass, but uh, our water supply depends on you getting more snow. Um, so, but this should help uh, bring what little grass you have back to life, I guess, uh, for the remainder of the fall. Uh, and hopefully uh, it won't result in flooding. I mean, there's enough, um, hopefully there's enough um, moisture in the ground that it'll not beat off the top, so to speak, and it'll you know, absorb properly. But uh, yeah, after like a miserable summer of just drought conditions, uh, we're moved from, you know, heavy possibility gel to uh, lighter levels, but we still do need more rain. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll get um, some more steady rain, but the wind is wicked. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, oh, yeah. Let's hope, uh, let's hope the power stays on. And speaking of the power, <laughs> <laughs> um, the predictions of energy costs this winter are kind of scary. It absolutely is. I mean, today the feds released their CPI report at uh, 8.30 this morning. Uh, we received the uh, production um, index yesterday. No big surprise. Everything's up. It's all slightly ahead of projection by like 0.1 or 0.2, depending what you're looking at. Um, it's, you know, in the 8 percentile zone again. And uh, if you take out food and energy, the remaining items is over 6 percent. Um, cost of living increase. So, you know, that 2% differential between um, six and eight, it represents energy and food, uh, which is still extraordinarily high. Uh, the uh, energy market uh, is actually a little bit lower, except for energy. And not surprising, you know, investors are looking at the futures, uh, meaning they're trying to gamble, literally gamble what price would be down the road. And, uh, Home energy is one of those things that the gambling is going to continue to rise. And uh, we, I, I agree with that. Um, supply and demand issues, um, insufficient natural gas entering this part of the country, uh, the impacts of climate change, particularly these hurricanes in the South, actually slows down refineries because they have to close. So hopefully we'll not see any more hurricanes in the Gulf Coast, as well as uh, inside the Gulf of Mexico at all. Um, and of course, the European issue is a big problem because uh, the, the the leaking pipelines, so to speak, the two leaking pipelines in Nord Stream, which uh, I was suspecting is sabotage as opposed to a, a engineering or a faulty situation. And the U.S. really needing to um, inc uh, continue to pump out more gas to our allies uh, in Europe uh, by LNG tankers. Um, you know, we're... we're one of the, we are one of the biggest uh, natural gas uh, producers and refiners on the planet. Um, and the OPEC situation, uh, as you saw, President Biden you know, has been very upset with the Saudis about this, not necessarily just as impact the United States, but also its impact on Europe, because um, it's a balancing act. And energy is, again, remind everyone, energy is an on-demand product, so to speak. It's not a as, as like, you know, I'll grab it off the shelf when it's available. When you turn on your lights or you heat your home, it's on demand. It's got to be always there. It's very different. As a result, um, you know, obviously the energy prices will, will reflect the fact of just 
when you turn on your light switch, the power will be there. Um, so again, I remind folks, you know, go to Mass Save uh, website, you know, get a home energy audit. You know, they're offering discounts and products that can help. Like we got a Nest. Actually, my brother got the Nest for for the house, and uh, he installed it. And uh, we already noticed uh, a change on how um, the home is heated, including the fact that it's actually controlling the heat and the fan down in our heating system, actually a very new heating system, and um, a new uh, thermostat that can actually interface with the heating system's fan and temperature gauge uh, really makes a difference on, on any supply. You know, drafty windows, close the drapes, it's gonna be windy. Uh, if it's really gonna be cold and windy, you know, things like closing your drapes is, is really helpful to try to heat in the, uh, the wind out. So. And there's plenty of things you can do to try to help uh, reduce your consumption, which also will help lower energy costs. Yeah, it's a bit curious to see how it impacts um, gasoline um, as well. That OPEC 2 million barrels a day, I think, uh, reduction in output. Yeah, it's about 40 cent differential, give or take, from this time last year on gas. Again, uh, this time last year, I thought gas prices were still high at over $3. A gallon. Um, it's sitting in the three fifty cent zone right now. Uh, I think consumer habit has already changed uh, throughout this year that has resulted in a reduction of gas consumption. I also believe that consumers are shopping for the gas best prices. I know I'm definitely shopping for the best price. Um, and also, you know, you kind of like use up your gas tank as much as possible uh, before you buy or you buy when you think the uh, price is the right price uh, at the moment. But I don't see gas prices spiking up to $5 again um, this winter. Um, a lot of that was triggered by Ukraine war and the sudden uh, shortage of gas that happened because of the war uh, kicking off. So, and also again, it's a future market thing. So, you know, people invest in uh, natural gas, gas refineries, gasoline, you know, betting against the future price. So I, I think, um, you know, the guys that make, you know, all the big money on this stuff, you know, are looking at how uh, consumer behavior is. Uh, and, you know, again, pointing back to the CPI report, you know, it's about 8% total, it's only uh, 2% differential between everything else uh, and food and energy. So 6% CPI, not including food and energy. So they'll send signals to the you know, futures guys to try to figure out, you know, what where they can make their money. Um, I think airline prices are going to be really tricky this winter. Um, they're a huge consumer of, of gas, big surprise. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think you can find some good um, rates coming up if you start looking now. Uh, the reason is because they're still not sure exactly what the Thanksgiving holiday rush is going to look like. I think it's going to be very similar to the last few cycles. Thanksgiving's busy, but Christmas is not. Mm. Uh, I think you might see record highs again during the Thanksgiving period, uh, but like moderate travel during the Christmas period. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. And one positive, I guess, that is coming out of uh, this current economy is savers are able to find higher interest rates. That is correct. Uh, as the feds are going to look at a 0.75 increase, probably November 1st, uh, that's what the speculation is. You're going to get creepy, creeping into uh, over the 4% zone. And they're talking again, perhaps uh, in the spring or, or, or late winter, uh, maybe even sooner, depending how these uh, reports on inflation move forward, they may uh, get as high as 5% next year. So mostly you're probably looking at your saving accounts and looking like 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.4, you 
know, you haven't seen a big shift. And again, uh, in the banks are very uncertain about how to uh, change interest rates because lending is also down and you get a, a piece of the action, so to speak, you know, when they do lending. Um, so, you know, your local bank may be having not a great interest rate, but CD rates are rising right now. I mean, you get a one month CD if you do a hunt for like 2.9. Uh, a three-month CD can get as high as 3.3. A one-year CD, anywhere between 3.5 to 4.5. Uh, when the Fed's raise rates again in November, you know you, you can find you know better deals, and it's going to be much better in your interest rate. So if you can park some money um, for a year or even three months, uh, you could start rotating your CDs around, meaning that uh, you let your CD roll for three months or six months, see what the rates are, ride train on the existing rate that you have, or you know, you could, instead of doing that, you could also um, cash out and then reinvest your money in a CD rate again. And the nice thing is about three or six months is that you have access, you know, you're going to have access to your money in three to six months. Um, if you can spare money, you know, to a year, a year and a half, uh, and you don't need access right away, well, it's a good time to take a look and shop online uh, around uh, different places. And some brokerage firms also have uh, CD rate offers, and you you know if you're only opening a brokerage account just for CD rates, there's nothing difficult or or scary about that. Just don't buy stocks; it's not complicated. And if you right. got a green child or a child that's like five years old, good time to buy a ten year treasury bond. Yeah, it's just be sure that um, the FDIC insured products; those are the safest ones. Yes, the banks do FDIC insure certificates deposit. They do not insure brokerage accounts, which is kind of right. the danger of doing that. So you open a brokerage account just to get a CD. Make sure your money does go into the CD, which is FDIC insured, um, and you know leave nothing in your brokerage account if if that's your big concern. Or leave a minimum amount in your brokerage account that you're not afraid something bad may happen to, like you know, hundred bucks. Um, but you know, if you want brick and mortar, uh, again, you know, Citizen Bank, um, the big banks are all looking to see if they can get to customers. But also, don't discount places like Rockland Trust, um, the uh, credit unions. Uh, you know, they, they also offer local rates if you're uh, looking to a brick and mortar. Online opens your options immensely. I know it's a bit more work because I've been doing it too. Uh, it's not always easy to find, but you know, you can bounce around to a lot of the online banks, which is also FDIC insured and uh, do an online account. And if you're not happy, just close the account. It's actually a close account button. So uh, I know that uh, the markets uh, are kind of like crazy and, uh, you know, it can be scary to invest in stocks. I mean, let's be honest about it. And your 401ks and your 457s, your 403bs and other pension uh, items is doing these ups and downs. Uh, but if you're looking for some stability and uh, make a bit of a small amount of interest rate, much like four times, like a hundred times higher than what you're getting in many savings accounts, checking accounts. You know, it's a good time to look now. Yep, absolutely. And curious, it's such an, I was speaking with the mayor about this earlier this week, it's such an odd climate right now because inflation is high, but unemployment is low. Yeah, this is the most unusual recession uh, you're going to ever find. I'm doubtful you're going to find one again. COVID has really changed how all this works regarding supply chain, obviously uh, the mass retirement's happening, obviously a lot of deaths, which affects the workforce and working age folks. Uh, people forget that uh, people over 60 are part of a workforce now. Uh, I think we live in this for a long time, still under this kind of strange myth that 65 is retirement age and 
you know, not part of our workforce, but that, that that's not true. I mean, ever since the 03 and especially the 08 recession has forced families to work into much later years because, you know, 03 and 08 actually ruined their private 401ks, 403bs, and, you know, pension funds were having some challenge, but these pensions are guaranteed minimum revenue, right? And uh, people try to lay off social security, you know, even though, uh, uh, you know, you know, even though it was not this massive inflation we're facing now, it was still inflation uh, going up, uh, you know, two to three percent, you know, uh, a year. Uh, and people living in Social Security were challenged. So they had to you know, get part time jobs uh, to, to fill it out. So the conversation of you know, COVID uh, workforce reduction, people taking retirement, people changing jobs. I mean, it is still a buyer's market for employees. Uh, and uh, we have. You have this like really interesting part of you know under four percent unemployment, inflation you know floating at eight percent ish in big zones. Uh, you have the markets all over the place. You have interest rates rising that's supposed to encourage saving and less lending. The housing prices have not really dropped because we have limited stock in Massachusetts. Uh, there is no massive foreclosures, which is typical of a financially driven recession, a bank driven recession, which is 08. Um, even though three was not a bank driven recession, it was a stock driven recession. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dot uh, com bust showed up uh, and people lost a whole lot of money uh, in the markets, uh, investing in dot companies, the internet companies. So this is a very peculiar period. Indeed. Yeah. What is what do you know about the whole um, cryptocurrency market, Jackie? It's, it's, it's very confusing to a lot of people, myself included. Well, it's not truly a currency in a conventional manner. I mean, currency in my brain, you know, is a, a government-backed, uh, government-backed money. Uh, you have full faith in government to actually support the money it has, and it's supposed to be money by its GDP and the economy. And your your money uh, valuation inflates or deflates depending on the strength of the economy and how much of that currency is in the market. So there's a lot of currency meaning they print way too much money. Uh, whether you know it, it, it devalues the remainder, duh. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. You have too much of something, it devalues what's left. You're printing too little, it overinflates, uh, and it changes the value that way. The U.S. dollar is still well past eighty percent of all traded currencies on the planet. You do a transaction in like the Congo, it's in U.S. dollars. If you're doing a transaction in Congo to Canada, it's in U.S. dollars, even though both countries are not U.S. dollar countries. And a lot of the plant is pegged to the U.S. dollar. So when the dollar moves, their currency locally moves too. They're, they've backed their currency on the strength of the U.S. So the U.S. dollar is extremely strong right now because of hyperinflation, which makes U.S. products much more expensive for outside the U.S. to buy. You yeah. think you have a lot of money now on your uh, products inflation, but if you throw in a strong dollar and you're buying, let's say, from Europe, a U.S. product, it's inflation plus the markup. Uh, of like, depending where you are, up to 40%, perhaps, and what the product buying. So inflation plus markup of the dollar. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's really quite amazing to watch. Uh, I was at the Korean Foundation event, uh, Foundation Days that they created was founded. Uh, it's like 4,000-year-old country. And we're talking to the consulate, and you know, they organized the event. The Korean consulate says they get paid in won, which is the Korean dollar. Hmm. So the Korean currency is how they budget. But the problem is that you know they have a fairly fixed budget, but the but the wound is forty percent uh, weaker than the U.S. dollar. Wow! So their uh, budget in the constant in the U.S. Uh, cannot make budget in the U.S. because once the conversion happens, they lose money. Right. And hmm. it's 
Yeah, I know it never dawned on me that these uh, foreign consulates as well as foreign entities that are paid on currency budgets on their home countries um, and they budget that way, um, you know, when they have to spend their money because they're physically in the U.S., they do conversion, uh, they're getting killed on their um, local budgets and try to keep right. it up. So let me give you an example of how the U.S. dollar is so strong. It, it literally damages uh, another country's uh, consulate uh, to actually pay for their own office supplies and uh, even the salaries of their employees um, because the, uh, you know, it's, it's based on, uh, you know, obviously it's based on the currency of home. It's how they budget. It's based on the Korean budget, how they budget the constantly, not the U.S. budget. So, you know, it's, it's amazing how the U.S. currency strength is so strong. And this, again, hurts our exports. Mm-hmm. Such as being too strong. Uh, and uh, this is kind of like a wacky re- re- recession. When a recession hits, the U.S. dollar weakens a lot. And unemployment goes up, as we all know. But one of the interesting side effects, because we're still one of the biggest exporter importers on the planet, the U.S. products become cheaper uh, when the U.S. dollar gets weaker. And then foreign uh, nations, uh, consumers will buy more U.S. product. And then it'll actually help. It's one of the factors, not the factor, one of the factors that can help us out of recession is foreign markets buy more of our U.S. products because it becomes cheaper. And they will fly overseas to the U.S. to be tourists and buy local product. Um, because again, the U.S. dollar is a little bit cheaper, and it helps us climb out of recessions uh, as one of the ways to do by you know foreigners you know dropping dollars and, and going home. Mm-hmm. Um, COVID has also messed that up um, because you know you can't come over easily, and uh, and COVID travel I know is much more uh, less restricted than ever uh, during the COVID life we're living now, uh, but still a lot of hesitation on travel uh, overseas. And uh, most people don't realize anytime there's bad news here, like really bad uh, national news, they see it overseas too. And it makes people rethink their travel. Like, you know, when the height of Asian racism was really bad, um, as people getting beat up and murdered all over the US, uh, Asian countries uh, were very hesitant to whether or not to even send their kids overseas or come visit at all. Because while it doesn't happen in every place, and, you know, it's not like it's every street corner, like any crime. Um, they only see the big ticket news. It's not like they get into the minutia. Same thing as we do. We we don't see the small uh, ticket news over there. We just see like the highlights of big things. And, you know, right. these perceptions that, hey, that must be like what this whole place looks like. And mm-hmm. obviously that's not true. Uh, if you're a sensible person, you understand that's not true. It's a snapshot of a, of a tragedy at one time. Um, so give me an idea how this, you know, that impacts us, um, you know, on so many levels. But yeah, I mean, Low unemployment, high interest rates, high high inflation, um, higher wages, you know, higher cost of living. Markets are wicked low, wicked down right now. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, I mean, as far as cryptocurrency goes, is that something you would invest in? Oh, sorry, I, I, I digressed from cryptocurrency. <laughs> Uh, cryptocurrency is very down right now. I mean, the flagship is Bitcoin and you have Ethereum and all these other cryptocurrencies are trying to get into the Bitcoin market. They're all very low because they're a volatile product that's uh, tied to trading. It's basically like trading stock in a way where or trading for like commodities such as soybeans and gold and silver and wheat. Mm. And even, you know, natural gas and oil is a commodity people trade in the market. And uh, the value of those market trades are only as strong as the people that are willing to buy and sell that same product. Again, supply and demand. 
And if you hoard more Bitcoins, uh, the price of Bitcoin goes up. You sell all your Bitcoins, the price of Bitcoin goes down. The difference is that unlike other things, you're constantly trading. So if I'm buying like 100 million tons of soybeans, I need to sell those soybeans right away because I have no place to store said soybeans. So it's constant flipping. Bitcoin doesn't do that. It's it's a weird thing where you can like buy and sit on it because it's you know it's all virtual. Um, but it's also not exactly a safe harbor. Again, it's not not FDIC. It's like playing a commodities market. And do you have faith that uh, the Bitcoin market uh, will maintain its value? And it's been plumbing like a stone. Uh, following the rest of the market as people don't perceive it as a safe harbor. The safe harbor is buying U.S. dollars, buying U.S. debt. U.S. debt is a great thing to buy because the U.S. never admits a debt payment, uh, hence bonds are, are becoming very popular. So, you know, as people look at uh, greater volatility, uh, volatility and insecurity, uh, they obviously like to park uh, a part of their investment uh, into safe commodities and the safest commodity on this planet is the U.S. debt. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that's so confusing to me about cryptocurrency is, I mean, you talk about buying it, you have to buy it with real money. <laughs> yeah. Hence I refer to it as a commodity. Yeah. Even though the words currency, it's not a currency. I mean, right. currency is backed by the full faith and credit of a country or pegged to another country, which again, everyone pegs the US dollar. No one pegs their money to the Chinese yuan, uh, RMB. They don't do it. You might peg yourself to the sterling, you might peg yourself to the EU, but you know, the, the euro, but you know, really, I mean, people, the planet really pays the US dollar again because we don't repay our debts, our bonds are good. Uh, whether you're buying our bonds as a person at home or you're buying a bond from overseas, and again, uh, you know, foreign transactions of money is, is, is held in US dollars. I mean, Putin's war uh, was banking on the fact that he could hide uh, half his money in US banks and US dollars because the conversion rate against the ruble was very very strong uh, to his benefit. And also, you know, he, it's a great security to have because again, the US dollar's rising strength, but also is very stable currency that's guaranteed to have value, hold its value no matter what. So, you know, you know, he's trying, he was trying to fund a war by putting it in US banks, you know, get the interest and, uh, you know, and, you know, full faith of, of money. You know, if you had that much faith in your money, you wouldn't be putting it in US banks. You'd be keeping it in Russian banks you know, the strength of the ruble. Yep. Yeah. And that, that's not, that was, if not the first, one of the very first things that the administration did was to cut that off. Yeah. Cut him off from, from a half uh, trillion dollars worth of, uh, of his currency. And we did that with Iran too. I mean, the government of Iran had a lot of uh, money uh, stored in U.S. banks. We cut off a lot of that and gave some of it back as part of a nuclear deal back in the Obama administration. And we cut it off again, <laughs> Under the Trump administration, which obviously upsets them, um, because again, you want to push money in safe harbor. The Taiwanese, I promise you, you know, is buying U.S. dollars and U.S. debt like mad, because again, they're they, even though they're also, I believe, they're paid to the U.S. dollar too. I mean, if they need to buy a whole lot of weapons in a short period of time from anybody, they're going to do it in U.S. dollars. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, and you know, <laughs> big surprise, folks. Criminal transactions are done in two places, cryptocurrency or U.S. dollars. Mm -hmm. Surprise, right? Even illegal uh, actors in foreign countries like to trade in U.S. dollars. Hmm. What is going on in uh, Britain with the, the whole, I mean, we could, we could go over there and our dollar would go way further now against the pound. 
Yeah, generally the sterling is like a buck two, a buck five US to one sterling, sometimes as high as buck four, depending on what era you grew up in. Uh, and, uh, you know, Brexit definitely has an impact, but obviously they had stabilized after, you know, a bunch of rocky rides, they stabilized to quote the new norm um, as, as people adjust. But, you know, the Conservative Party uh, over there, the Tory party, you know, pushed uh, on a campaign on uh, tax cuts, massive tax cuts, particularly on the top end of the food chain. Big surprise again. I mean, the Tory party's helping the top end of the food chain. And uh, the IMF and the Bank of England and everybody freaked out because they look at the country's debt load and they're just adding more debt with no revenue source. And they want to spend more money, quote unquote, and stimulus money, uh, which will be creating more debt, but no tax revenue to back up that debt. And uh, the Brits are number four or five or six economy, depending on what day of the week we're talking about and what measurement you use. Uh, so it's a very powerful economy, but it's nothing like China, the US. Uh, but still, as you saw, when the Brits moved uh, on these proposals, it had ripple effects on the planet regarding their stock markets and people looking to invest in uh, British uh, companies. And people, the money started fleeing out of Britain to safer harbors. The sterling fell to just about the dollar-ish zone. I think it's like a dollar seven or dollar eight now uh, to to one sterling, uh, which devalued the money immensely, and it impacted their input exports as well as their uh, faith in the sterling. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's amazing how, you know, one tax policy you know, that benefits the wealthiest uh, triggered the Bank of England to immediately try to stabilize their money uh, right away. Uh, and now the uh, Conservative Party is literally doing a year turn as we speak, trying to salvage um out of a political situation because they made promises. They can't keep them now. And they don't know what to do. And uh, Liz, Liz Truss may be one of the shortest prime ministers in history uh, over there if this doesn't, if she doesn't get out. The, the Conservative Party, Tory Party will pick somebody else. They're, they have a whole process where you send in secret letters. And once it reaches a threshold, it triggers a internal party um, run a, 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 a candidacy to try to un unseat her. Um, and you saw what happened with uh, Boris Johnson and Theresa May. I mean, uh, two thirds, even though they won by more than well over two thirds of the party, they were all gone within <laughs> six weeks or less uh, because the negatives were so high that they, they weren't gonna be able to continue to maintain uh, party control, right? And this trust is gonna is desperately trying to avoid that right now. And you turning is a very, challenging political move after making such a bold promise out there and watches like huge negative consequence. Um, and now they're trying to your turn to save their jobs. And uh, of course, the um, Liberal Party, um, what's their name? God, my, my British party names have like vanished from it. But the Liberal, Liberal Party is now uh, itching for a general election. Uh, because uh, I don't people remember it, but in 2019, the Tory party just swept through the country in the mm -hmm. biggest slide win in the history of the Tory party. This is before COVID hit and went to 2019. I was watching this when I was my last vacation, uh, being fascinated how this was going to play out. And uh, the talk was that the Tory party is now going to control for like 20 years and the liberals and all the other smarter party, smaller parties would never everyone recover from this. And uh, that was 2022. And the talk is that the Tory party may get wiped out by the liberals and smaller parties because of 
you know, their inability to stabilize the economy, um, not just because of COVID, but this one move to cut a lot of taxes and spend a ton of money. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the same here, right? It's the the old slogan, it's the economy, stupid. Absolutely. And uh, people love to cut their taxes, but no one wants to cut services. Right. Uh, and this is an age-old uh, challenge of, uh, of tax policy. Um, and uh, we saw this during the Trump administration. Well, the deficit went up uh, when uh, they did a mass amount of tax cuts, which some of you felt in different ways, uh, but they, you know, they also continue the deficit spend. And uh, the, you know, the federal government is closing the books, or uh, closed the books at September 30th. And uh, the deficit, uh, not the debt, the deficit between spending and uh, revenues is about $1.4 trillion differential. The year before that, it was about 2.8. So under the Democratic administration and uh, Democratic Congress, you know, we cut the deficit in half uh, in terms of spending versus revenue. Uh, and most of that, and, you know, this is an unfortunate part of politics. You pick up your predecessor's problems. Right. So, you know, but no one ever remembers that because you have the problem. It's your problem now. It's not like you don't remember where it comes from. But, I mean, the Biden administration has been working to cut the deficit in spending and revenues uh, over the last year. And the latest um, stimulus plan uh, that been, you know, Build Better plan, you know, does have uh, some tax increases for people who are making um you know, more money than I'm making. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's definitely going to show, uh, particularly in the next year, it's going to cut the, the spending and um, tax revenue more. And, uh, but that's that's how you're supposed to do it. I mean, people forget the last time we had a positive surplus was in the Clinton administration. Yeah, that's right. And a Democratic administration again. So this is why I always find very perplexing when people, everyone wants to cut taxes. My response is, all right, fine. What service will you give up you personally will surrender for tax cuts to work. And, you know, people will never say anything. Yeah, they want their, you know, bread buttered on both sides. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Democratic administration, so you would have balanced budgets. And, you know, at our level, obviously, we're a balanced budget state. Uh, in my time, in 27 years of being a staff person, um, as well as an elected official, uh, we've never not had a balanced budget. We've always either had a cut or finding revenues. And, uh, you know, I was around for the old three cuts in the staff level. And it's painful because you're cutting core services now uh, in the old three deficit. Um, 08, I was around four. I was in the AG's office, but, you know, computer ripple effects through the AG's office. You know, I've been furloughed twice. I know that feeling like a lot. I don't know if anyone else has been furloughed and watching this, but I've been furloughed before. And uh, obviously we saw the COVID hit, but because COVID and this weird economy we're living in during COVID, it, it, we actually end up with a surplus, which quite frankly should not have happened at all. Uh, right, but right it, exactly. Um, it should not be a surplus, but it is. And obviously the federal government assistance and COVID costs helped us a lot. Uh, if not for the federal government's assistance uh, with all states, uh, you know, we're looking at like billions and billions of dollars of healthcare related costs, tests, test kits, Mass PPP, PPP stockpile. I mean, our PPP stockpile is up to like six months stockpile. And uh, I think the intention uh, before the Baker administration goes out is to actually continue to increase that stockpile. Because hmm. we don't know what's going to happen next. We never really had a stockpile like this. So sure. PPP yeah. stockpile is so important too. People don't realize that that's what we're doing. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the feds have been real big assistance, but, you know, you could, I could never, I always 
you know, we were talking about this in 2020. Uh, you know, I was preparing for a 14 to 60% budget reduction that year. and It'll be slash and burn through the budget. Yeah. Speaking of um, the surplus, what's the status of 62F, Jackie? You don't have to do anything. You the, How you got your refund, uh, how you pay your taxes is how you're going to get your money. Okay. If you paid online, electronically, you're getting it back to your bank account. If you pay by check and you get your refunds by check, you're getting oh, okay. a check. Um, it's still approximately 13%-ish uh, on your tax liability, meaning um, how much you paid in taxes um, after credits. If you credit is cash, so you already you know reduce your tax burden. And uh, obviously, this benefits the top end of the food chain. This is one of those trickle down economics policy that the voters voted for back in '86. So obviously, people with higher tax burdens benefit the most. People with the lowest tax burdens hurt the most. Yeah, uh, I know there's some effort to try and change that, but probably too late right now. No, that's 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 not going to happen. So I mean, people that you know, obviously, it's logical. People that have the most wealth can handle inflation and the cost impacts better. Um, people at the lower wage end have the highest struggle despite rising wages uh, on inflation. And this will provide a little bit of help for those you know, making less money, uh, but will provide a lot of help to those who are making a lot of money. It's because it's flat, 13%, regardless of your uh, tax status. Yes. It's also you know, a flat income tax in Massachusetts. And, and why is that? Um, it's in constitution. You can only tax people of the same class equitably. And the Supreme Court over the years, or sorry, Supreme Judicial Court, well, because it's the state Supreme Court, Supreme Judicial Court over the years has been making uh, determinations what different classes are. So, for example, capital gains revenue you know, can be taxed differently than the flat tax because it's not considered basic income tax. Um, and, you know, people may remember, you know, your interest income was taxed at 12% at one time. Uh, now it's taxed at five percent because um, the legislature actually did change to five percent at the same time a ballot question was moving through. So uh, I remember that from a long time ago. Um, for those who have memories for those things, um, so uh, including things like credits and deductions or whatnot. I mean, you can you can differentiate different class if the court says it is, or you challenge the court of whether or not class exists. So you know the state flatly says people you know the same. A class, essentially, I know class isn't in the Constitution, it's a, it's a court-created item. Um, you don't have to be taxed equitably, and uh, hence we have a flat tax in Massachusetts. It just doesn't seem equitable, though, because 6% of somebody's $50,000 income is much more than 6% of somebody's million-dollar income. Yeah, this comes into th- also comes into things like deduction, credits, uh, expenses, uh, Schedule C, Schedules A's. I mean, you know, th- those uh, who uh, uh, receive benefits from greater deduction beyond the standard deduction, you know, can play with the tax code and things like that. You know, other countries, you know, literally, you don't get a refund, you don't pay more taxes on tax day. The government takes out your paycheck and that's it. There's no creation of these, you know, deductions and whatnot. People find the tax code in some other countries much simpler. It is what it is. You're in a bracket, you pay X take out a paycheck, tax day comes. All you do is confirm that it's been reconciled as zero and you move on with life. Around here, if you're getting a refund, you're basically loaning the government money for zero interest. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what it really is, folks. You're getting a refund. You're basically loaning the government your money. So it is behooving of us that if you are doing your taxes early 
and you're going to get a refund, get your money as soon as possible. There's no reason why you should give the government. It's kind of funny coming from a government guy. You should not give the government uh, your money on zero interest benefit. Right? That's really so, not a refund. It's it's your money. <laughs> your money. So get it back right away. I mean, don't yeah. wait till April. Just just get your get your money in if you're going to get a refund. Get it back right away because uh, it's it's literally not making you any money. Uh, the, the government's just holding on to it and, and uh, really not to your benefit. Um, that's why people would like to pay their taxes, like they go as close to April as possible because they want to be able to, you know, get ready to pay additional tax burden. But, you know, most people should know what the tax burden is, hopefully, you know, by early March, you know, as they get their various forms in. I do know some forms don't show up to like mid-March, particularly things like capital gains. Right. Um, it takes a little while, but... You know it. Uh, you know, you, but if you're getting a refund, get your money back now. Don't don't wait for it. Uh, so I mean, you're right. I mean, it's a regressive tax. It's generally a flat tax where, um, and this is sales tax is a regressive tax too, uh, mm-hmm. where uh, those can afford more, can pay more, uh, with lesser impact on essential goods than those who uh, make less money. And now, you know, inflation is showing that uh, who have less means and forced to reevaluate. Um, how much you can afford. And nowadays, uh, I think everyone's noticed this too, the definition of what middle income or or uh, what is uber wealthy versus just wealthy versus just well off versus middle class versus, you know, lower middle class versus, you know, uh, it's it's just this, there's a moving dollar amount depending where you live in the country, right? Yes. So like $150,000 doesn't go as far today as it did 30 years ago. True, everywhere, especially here. Yeah, and you guys all see this as well as you know the federal government keeps talking about playing with the tax code and things like that. You know they keep shifting around what you know what is considered the threshold of being wealthy. Um, it's because again, reflection of the cost of living and everything else. But you know, if you're uh, unable to increase your wages, uh, you know at the lower level, you can't keep with the current cost of living. And we saw this also during COVID. Nobody saved money. It's also a reflection of a consumer service spending economy we live in, but also the fact that it's hard to save money when you just have to keep up with essentials. Mm-hmm. You're going to see uh, right now, I think ne- next year when, the, you know, if you look at the Fed reports and savings, uh, again, savings can be very low because inflation's eating up your dollars. But yeah, you, know, you, need, you need that money for essential, essential living expenses, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, income distribution, a redistribution is always via taxes by the government. And uh, historically speaking, uh, the federal government has always taxed the, the upper echelon higher than the lower, lower echelon. But, you know, in exchange for taxing higher to create new types of deductions and whatnot, to, you know, try to get them out of the high end of the tax bracket. Massachusetts, where flat tax, question one, we talked about this before, creates for the first time a tiered system by uh, income by changing the constitution. If you make $1 uh, more, then um, one million, you're going to get taxed four percent of that dollar high past that one million. So you have a quite chance to vote in November's. Uh, well, actually, mail-in ballots are coming soon. Uh, yes. <laughs> early voting, uh, not no, I can't say November eighth. It's a uh, mail-in ballots and uh, early voting's coming up quick. Uh, you get to get, you know take time, but you know one of the things the nice thing about early voting, I think, is also you get a chance to read the question. You could uh, read the red book. You can go online, do some research, and try to make informed decisions. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's essentially three, at least three ways to vote now, like you say, early voting, mail-in, on on election day, absentee is another option um, as well. Think they'll ever be online voting, Jackie? 
No, I, I think it, it, the security is a legit issue. I think paper ballots in Massachusetts are here to stay. I mean, I've gotten some emails from constituents saying, you know, end electronic voting. And like, we don't have electronic voting. I, you'd be surprised what I get for email some days. You know, electronic voting, you got to stop it. Stay with paper ballots. I'm like, clearly you've never voted. Right, exactly. Uh, if you think you can vote electronically, then you, you haven't you, voted, right? You have never voted, clearly. <laughs> Um, because yeah, just because it goes through a scantron machine, it does, it's still paper ballot. Um, oh yeah. That's not connected to the internet. That's totally in-house. Correct. And those of us remember chads, when you punched a hole in the ballot, that was ran through a machine too, where the light mm -hmm. passed through the hole in your ballot to register to vote. Mm -hmm. It's not that different from scantron. That's right. Yeah. Right. And people always talk about the old pool machines where you know, go into a booth and you yep. push a bunch of buttons. Well, that's punching holes in a ballot. Yeah, yeah. I never did that system. That's other parts of the country. I don't think it was around here very often. Yeah, but I thought that was also paper ballots. It was just yes, you know, right. Yeah, punching holes. Um, and uh, you know, also people who are visually impaired. I know there's a small number of visually impaired uh, ballot uh, voting machines. Mm -hmm. And that's also just marking a paper ballot. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't see electronic online stuff happening. I know I remember reading an article many years ago now from Oregon that were playing with idea and it never came to fruition. They couldn't yeah. figure out do it securely. Some countries overseas have already done it and they do it through their through um, electronic uh, ID card system, which mm -hmm. is not really um, what you think it is in terms of like an ID card. It's actually like your uh, tax slash voting slash um you know travel slash like document card um, oh, all right okay so you ate, you know some countries have been doing this like voting system through their tax system essentially using the secure system there yeah. but they also tend to be very very small countries um they're not 300 million people they're not even seven million people right and spread out across an entire you know continent hemisphere <laughs> yeah. yeah and they're trying to utilize a secure system of a existing secure system uh, to see how that works. So, um, yeah, I just don't see it. I yeah. can see it on a very small scale. I just can't see it done large scale safely. Yeah. Well, you, you can register online. Uh, you can apply for a ballot online, but you can't cast a vote online. No, security is very different because, you know, everyone wants to talk about voter tampering or whatnot. Although there was a funny one here, too. I don't know if you saw this article. They were digressing again regarding the fat bear voting contest in Canada. Have you seen this? Oh, article? no. The fat oh, bear? No. Look this up. It's like it's a thing in Canada used to try to bring awareness to wildlife and uh, try to get people to learn about grizzly bears. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, it's a great educational tour and a great way to promote conservation. So they do this thing called the fat bear contest where they have snapshots of bears that are tracking around Canada and uh, you can see them, you know, on the internet and you can vote to be, you know, there's a popularity contest, right? Oh, you know, okay. And uh, right now bears are preparing for hibernation. So they're in full blown eat everything that, you know, eat everything in front of you mode. Um, if, it, if it can get in a bear's mouth, they're going to try to eat it. <laughs> uh, so they move into hibernation. So they're all getting literally fat. Um, and uh, there was a, uh, in the last like last day of voting in the last like few hours, there was a massive uh, voter fraud, <laughs> no joke, online voter fraud. You try to uh, get a competitive bear against this other bear uh, and, uh, and the Canadian government uh, or Canadian government wildlife, whatever services is like, 
investigating this voter fraud online. Over that voter fraud, <laughs> it is. It, it, uh, yeah, my my amusing a part of the day is for you all to look up uh, the Fat Bear Canadian Fat Bear ballot scandal. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and, but I remember it is Canada. I think I think it's a Canadian thing. But yeah, it's look at a Fat Bear voting scandal. More reason why you should not have online voting. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and uh, and on that note. <laughs> We'll ask you to uh, let folks know how to get a hold of you. Sure. Uh, 617-722-2370, The phone lines are open, so to speak. Just hit a button um, in the office and we'll get the message. I know there's a whole like menu. Just hit a button. <laughs> That's my attitude about the office now. We'll, we'll get the message if no one picks up and uh, we'll get back to you as quick as we can. Tacky.chan at mahouse.gov. T-A-C-K-E-Y dot C-H-N at mahouse.gov is the um, phone number, I mean, the uh, email to me. Uh, right now, my email box is very tame. I can actually find your email. Uh, obviously, your policy issues, I do read. I do take them seriously. Uh, we categorize and log them. And constituent service emails where people have a life problem, that's what I call them now. You know, we'll try to get back to you as quickly as possible and you know, see if we can find a solution. Can't promise you we will, but we'll see if we can. Um, you, you all know my state representative, Tacky Chan, uh, Facebook account. Um, you know, we put some useful information up there. You can see some pictures of my comings and goings. And uh, at Tacky Chan is uh, my Twitter account. Uh, people like to tag me on things in Twitter now, which I don't understand why I'm getting tagged on stuff. Uh, the world of social media. And uh, TackyChan.org is the website, uh, personal website, uh, well, personal professional website. I actually have to maintain my own separate website from the malegislature.gov. It's, don't even start me with this conversation. Like, it's it's a whole thing. Um, but, you know, we're doing some updates. The staff and I continue talking about, you know, changing some stuff around and make it more user-friendly. Um, and like I said, malegislature.gov is the legislature's website if you want to look up stuff on your own. So, and of course, QB TV. You know, me and Joe here to uh, try to educate and entertain, uh, perhaps. <laughs> Hopefully we've done a little bit of both. Exactly. <laughs> Hopefully we've done a little bit of both. Uh, and, uh, you know, this has been a great me- medium and continue to be a great medium for not just talking about um, policy issues, but also a fun way to get to know a little bit about me and a fun way to get a little about Joe as well. Very little about me. It's <laughs> it's all about you, Jackie. <laughs> yeah, we'll interview you one day. We do the, we'll do the inverse interview. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> Uh, that'll be a short story. <laughs> uh, I still want to do the cooking show, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, you guys have heard on and off over the past few years, my, my cooking episodes, uh, epi- episodes at home. So, yeah, we, we should try to do some how we can do tacky quick cooking with his busy and uh, food allergies. Uh, some of you met, met me in person, gone to events, have, have noticed I don't eat. Uh, I, I've actually honestly have stopped uh, attending uh, dinner components because uh, it, it's hard. Uh, to uh, sit through meals um, and uh, also very concerned about whether or not where you're having your uh, catering is able to uh, uh, help uh, with my dietary problems. I won't name the location, but uh, you know, I have a, one of my allergy products. I have a lot of them. One of them is a soy based mm-hmm. and catering service got me a, a salad with what looked like some kind of mousse, but it turned out to be tofu. Yeah, tofu soy, guys. So, oh, yeah. Pure soy. Yeah. <laughs> so that didn't, um, 
yeah, this didn't go well for me. <laughs> okay. We'll leave that at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't feeling so good. Um, so yeah, I mean, this was a lifestyle change and obviously elected life involves being in a lot of events and, uh, you know, I have to do a lot of, uh, I mean, it's a lifestyle issue. I gotta, I don't like being hungry as much as anybody else. So I have to keep figuring out how to, um, make it work. Uh, so you, you, you don't get hangry tacky at an event, so to speak. <laughs> all right well we'll uh we'll, we'll think about how we can do a show about that maybe bring your laptop in the kitchen yeah uh, we'll, we'll see where we have to clean up the kitchen more mom would not be happy if i have a messy kitchen keep the TV. Okay. <laughs> thanks so much techie always good to talk to you always good to talk to you i'll talk to you soon